Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to each of you in the name of Jesus. Uh, let's open up our First Peter journals uh, to First Peter chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have one of those, you can open up uh, one of the Bibles in the pew. We're continuing to go through the book of First Peter and uh, kind of been seeing this really great encouragement that the book of First Peter is supposed to be towards Christians. This book is particularly useful if you are new to Christianity, if you are a new Christian. In fact, I've heard it said that if you were just starting as a Christian, it would be good to get through one of the Gospels, to read through one of the Gospels and understand it. But then 1 Peter might be a really good option for the second book that you read because it really encourages you to understand what it means to be a Christian and in particular, what it means to suffer for the name of Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's a surprise to new Christians or to Christians who have been in the church for a long time that they might have to suffer um, for the name of Jesus, that they're going to encounter some resistance. A lot of times we grow up in Christian families and we have a lot of nurture that goes along with our, our faith. But then it's sometimes a surprise when we go outside of those circles and we find that not everyone thinks the way we do that there is a hostility toward the words of Jesus. Or even that we find that even in our own families that we once depended on and relied upon to help us in the faith, that there is conflict within our own families, that there are those in our families and those that we love uh, that no longer love the Lord and no longer desire to walk with him. And so how do we deal with that kind of tension in our hearts and in our lives? And of course, the answer is in the gospel. It's in the encouragement that we have in Jesus. It's in this trajectory that we are walking with the Lord, understanding that we have been called to something beautiful and good. So today I'm going to walk through uh, this encouragement from Peter as he encourages the people of God to stay true to their identity in Jesus, uh, that they have been called into a, a new family. Uh, born again, as it says in the beginning of this book, born again uh, into the family of Jesus, and they have an in eternal inheritance. And now he uses four images to really encourage and help us to understand that identity that we have in Jesus. And in understanding that, we will be equipped to hold fast in the faith. The first image that he uses is that of an infant. Um, infants are generally not powerful or strong. They're kind of vulnerable. Uh, but this is what he says. Uh, he says in verse 2, Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So just before this, in, in the first uh, chapter, he said that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have been included in an eternal inheritance through Jesus. And now he returns to that image to talk about us in this way again. He says, if you are uh, growing in Christ, continue to long for that spiritual milk and grow up. 
Grow up into Jesus. Become stronger. Right now, you're, you're vulnerable like an infant. It's not a, necessarily a bad thing because uh, Peter says the least of these are the greatest in the kingdom. But to be an infant is to understand that you're still vulnerable, that you don't have everything checked off, that you're dependent on Jesus. Uh, when families bring children home uh, from the hospital, newborn infants... One of the first things they figure out is how to feed this kid. It's very distressing for families if infants aren't eating. Maybe you've been there. As a new parent, that's about all you think about. If that infant is not eating, uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. And when that child eats, it's like, good, that's all you got to do. That's your entire vocation at that part in your life. You're going to (laughs) eat. You're going to fill diapers you're going to eat. That's it. We're happy with you if you're doing that. And so too it is for Christians, that Christians, as we understand our dependence on the Lord, that we would be eating, we would be consuming the gospel, the pureness of the gospel, thinking about what it means to be someone who's tied to the death and resurrection of Jesus thinking what it means to have our sins truly forgiven and that God is indeed coming to renew this whole creation. We're learning continually, and that's what we're doing now. And this should be um, celebrated among us, that we who are here are here to grow up into Christ, that we are being fed by the spiritual milk of the gospel. And this is who we are. No longer are we uh, ignorant No longer are we tied to futility. No longer are we those who are outside of God's plan for salvation, but we are insiders. We have been called into his family, and now we are called to grow up uh, into the Lord. The second image that he gives is that of stones. Move forward a little bit. Is that of stones. Look what he says. In verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Notice that it says that Jesus was rejected by men, but chosen and precious by God. This is going to be pretty important. When Jesus was baptized, you might remember the scene, uh, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and the spirit descends upon him and a voice cries out from heaven. You remember what it said? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God pointed out, no matter what the world is going to say about this Jesus, he is my son and I am well pleased with him. And indeed, Jesus was not accepted by everyone. Crowds came and went, didn't they? And when he went to Jerusalem, he was not uh, welcomed totally to be their king, but instead he was rejected by men. Uh, He was spit upon, he was abandoned. And in fact, when he went up to be tried, he went to the place called the Stone Pavement. Uh, In fact, Gabbatha, we say in in the Gospels, but he went to the place of the stone pavement where he was officially rejected by the authorities of the world. He was officially said, you do not belong, you will be crucified, you will be killed. And so 
from the world's perspective, Jesus was rejected. He was an outsider. He was an outcast. But did that change what the God who created the heavens and the earth thought about him? Of course not. Um, no, this was his beloved son. No matter what happened to him, no matter what the world did to him, this was the beloved son of Jesus. And it was when the stone that was placed in front of Jesus' tomb was rolled away that Jesus was completely vindicated. That all of the hatred of the world didn't matter if this one Jesus Christ had the approval of God. God said, this is still my beloved son. You can do anything you want to him. You can kill him. I will bring him back to life because he is the rock. He is the stone. Look with me a little later in verse 6. It says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This speaks to the polarizing nature of Jesus, that some people will hate Jesus and reject him and they'll stumble on him. And they won't understand him. But then others will be built upon him. And the scriptures tell us that if anyone trusts in Jesus, they will not be put to shame. If anyone builds their life on Jesus the rock, they will not regret that. And so it is too for us. This says that you too, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house on Jesus God created something new in Zion, a cornerstone for his building, his creation, and he's taking you as well and placing you on that building, building you up together on Jesus, and nothing's going to tear that cornerstone down. And no one who has been built on the Lord Jesus is going to lose or fail. And it doesn't matter if you are rejected by your family it doesn't matter if you're rejected by your spouse. It doesn't matter if your children reject what you believe. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be rejected by the living God. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you too will be vindicated and raised from the dead. That no one who trusts in Jesus will be put to shame. No one who is built upon the cornerstone of the rock that the Lord himself laid in Zion will fall. And so this is a great encouragement to us as we look at Jesus, who was rejected but then vindicated, so too we are not afraid of being rejected because we too will be vindicated at the end. The third image that he gives is this, that of a spiritual house. This is a model image of the temple, uh, Herod's temple in Jerusalem. This is a, just to scale, but you can see how it dominates uh, the landscape. It dominates the city. It's a massive building. It was one of the wonders of the world at the time. It was built by Herod the Great, 
and it was very impressive indeed. In fact, when um, the disciples come into the temple in Mark chapter 13, they notice it. They point it out. They say, teacher, look how these magnificent buildings and stones, and certainly some of the stones could have been as wide as 40 feet wide and 20 feet tall. They were massive stones, massive buildings. But Jesus is not impressed with this building. In fact, this is what Jesus says. He says, you see all these buildings and stones, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left upon another at the end. And then he goes to prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. That would happen just a few years later after his death and his resurrection. In the Old Testament, uh, we have this image or this story of David desiring to build a temple for the Lord. He noticed that he had been brought safely for, through victory from his enemies, and he had built himself a big and beautiful palace. And he said, it's not great that I'm sitting in a palace and the Lord is just in a tent. So he says, I really want to build God a magnificent temple. And so he asks God to do this. And then the response from the prophet says, no, you are not the one who's going to build uh, this temple. In fact, uh, one of your sons will. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel. This is a promise to David. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is, of course, a prophecy about Jesus. That there is one who would come after David who is much mightier. And this one who would come after David is the real one who will build the temple. He will build for me a house, God says. Not you, David, but one of your offspring. And I will establish his kingdom forever. This is the Lord Jesus and Jesus, indeed, when he came into Jerusalem, he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. He prophesied the destruction of the temple. But then he talked about himself as a temple. Do you remember? He said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. It seems that the temple that God desired to have was a temple that Jesus would build. And so how does Jesus fulfill this prophecy he fulfills it with you. He fulfills it with me. He fulfills it in the church as he builds stone upon stone a dwelling place for God. He is the one who will build up a spiritual house filled with a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. The first temple could never do what the last temple Jesus would do. The first temple was a sacrifice again and again and again for sins. Jesus was that final and ultimate sacrifice that the old temple was pointing to. And now that temple becomes the people of God. Where God dwells in you, you are the temple that Jesus is building up. You are the house that Jesus builds a house that is dedicated to bringing glory and honor to God. Uh, at the end of the world, as we know it, uh, when the Lord Jesus comes back to this world, 
The whole creation will be God's dwelling place. The whole creation will be God's temple because God's presence will be everywhere in power. Right now, his presence dwells in you. His presence dwells in the church. And we become a preview of what all creation will be when the Lord comes in power. This is the house that Jesus is building out of all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues. He is building for himself an eternal dwelling that brings glory to God, even in the midst of those who hate God, even in the midst of those who would, who would blaspheme God. God is creating a holy temple throughout the world, and we are being built up into it. The final image I want you to see is in the same verse. It says, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Acceptable sacrifices. We've heard this language of sacrifice as well. Again, in the Old Testament, it was sheep, bulls, goats. In the New Testament, the sacrifices don't stop. They're you. The, the language of sacrifice continues. After Jesus gave his final sacrifice for sin, the offering sacrifices, the praise sacrifices continue, and they are you as you live out your life in reference to God. We read this um, as we went through the Romans series. You want to read it together with me this morning? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In the book of Hebrews, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could have a million years of life. You could be at peak physical health. But without faith... It is impossible to please the living God because you have to approach him through his son, Jesus Christ, and in faith. You have to believe in him and believe that he rewards those who seek him. But as we are in faith, as we are in Christ, it is possible to please the Lord God with our lives. It's possible to show a good witness. It's possible to do the things that God calls us to do. We're never going to do it perfectly, we're never going to outrun our need for mercy, but we do offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. God, whatever you want, it belongs to you. I remember I, I went into a sandwich shop in Florida once, and uh, there was, it was kind of an at-home sandwich shop. It was kind of uh, art on the walls, just very quirky, very local. And this, at the sandwich shop, it was talking about uh, the church, and it said, you know, uh, if, if my pastor came in here and asked for anything, it would be his. This TV would be his. Uh, this table would be his. He just has to ask. Any sandwich, it's his. No problem, because he serves God. And I thought, what a weird thing to come across in a sandwich shop. <laughs> but I liked the attitude that the sandwich shop owner was showing. If God comes in and asks anything of me, it's his. If he wants my money, here it is. If 
he wants my house, here it is. If he wants anything that he has already given to me, it already belongs to him. And so here it is. If he wants my time and my attention, here it is. If he wants my video games, here they are. If he wants what I do on the weekends, here it is. Because our lives belong to him already. Our lives are already given over to him. Whatever he would call us to give to him, we would gladly give because of the inheritance he's called us to, because we've been born again to a living hope, uh, because we belong to him. We have been called to life that is not filled with futility, as the earlier chapters of 1 Peter say, but we have been called to a life that is full and rich, that doesn't end in nothingness, but ends in blessing and goodness. There's a, a good song by the Ramones. They're kind of a punk band. Hope you guys like punk music. But there's a really good song that I caught my ear one time. One time I was uh, playing video games at my aunt's house for like the whole weekend. Okay? <laughs> she had gone out of town and she left me with this huge big screen TV. And so I got this brand new game and I was going to go play it. And I played it for a long time. And you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, watching TV or something, but you just, you get a little mushy in the brain after a while, you know? You can't remember how long you've, you've been sitting there. You don't know what you're doing anymore. And, and eventually you run out of steam. But I was playing this racing game and listening to this music that was on the soundtrack of the game. And the, the lyrics went like this by the Ramones, 20, 20, 24 hours to go. I wanna be sedated. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. I want to be sedated. And in that moment, I felt very sedated. I felt like I, I don't know if I'm awake or I'm asleep. And I think the great temptation in our time is to live that way, is to live completely sedated, is to fill our minds with things that numb us to the callings that we've been given in this life. Um, to endlessly scroll on our phones, mindlessly consuming things that we're not even quite aware of, or just to bury ourselves behind a screen, or to eat ourselves into sedation, or to drink ourselves into that state, or just to escape, escape, escape. But our God calls us to live not in that way, but rather as a living sacrifice, to take account of every moment that he's given to us and to offer it back to him in praise out of reverence for the reality that he has already rescued you from futility and death in Jesus. He has given to you a new life, a new heart. He has chosen you to be precious in his sight and to be built up into a temple that brings sacrifices to the Lord. He's called you to be a part of his eternal family, and he's called you to proclaim this to the world with your life. And so the encouragement would be for us today is the same for the people that Peter was writing to, is to stay steady, to hold fast, to not be surprised when you see some resistance in your life to the reign of Jesus both in your own heart and in your own family and in your own community, but to know that the one who called you is faithful and righteous, and it's going to be worth it. It's not futile 
to follow the Lord, but it's filled with meaning and purpose, and to offer ourselves back to him as a living sacrifice. May God grant this to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.